Hello, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Smears, a podcast produced by Michion Diagnostics. In this series, we will discuss thrombosis and hemostasis from the perspective of our host, benign hematologist and medical director of Michion Diagnostics, Dr. Brad Lewis. Brad, take it away. Hi, this is Brad Lewis. Welcome to another podcast in Blood, Sweat, and Smears. This one is a bit different since this is directed at patients. We've had a lot of calls recently from patients wanting more information about a hypercoagulable panel that was ordered or wanting to know what it means that they've been found to have one of these hypercoagulable uh, conditions. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this. A couple of issues before we even get started. Firstly, what I'm going to talk about only matters if you had a blood clot in a vein. Um, If you had a blood clot in an artery, a stroke, a heart attack, an artery in your leg or in your abdomen, um, that's a complex issue and requires a different approach to testing. We're not going to talk about that. We're only talking about venous blood clots, deep venous thrombosis in your legs, pulmonary emboli, and a few other much more rare blood clots um, in your belly or in other places. Um, Secondly, this is a fairly complex and murky area. Um, You would do best to get answers to your personal questions from a physician who knows your case, knows the details of what's going on. Even then, you may find that he at some point says there is no clear-cut answer and you really need to weigh in yourself um, about how you would like to be treated. Um, because we don't have clear answers as to what we should do. These are all things that happen best in a conversation with your primary care physician. What I wanted to do here was just talk a bit about what it is that that we mean when we talk about hypercoagulability, when the testing might be considered, and what the role of testing is, and why your physician may very well have chosen not to test you at all for, for these sorts of things. So, I am going to talk fairly loosely about this. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about any of these hypercoagulable states. Um, in this talk, I, I will in some other talks uh, that are directed really at physicians. But here I wanted to talk a bit more briefly and as a result more superficially about the issue of hypercoagulability. So why would you want to consider hypercoagulable testing? The answer here is probably you don't want to consider it very often. The only reason this testing matters is if it would change the management of your clot. And in many or or most situations, it really won't. So if you get a blood clot, the first thing I want to know is, did it happen for a good reason? You had surgery, you were in the hospital sick, you have cancer, you were pregnant. Um, Something was going on that caused you to have this clot or... Did it happen because it just happened? It happened out of the blue. Um, if it just happened, if, it, if the blood clot happens for a good reason, again, you were in the hospital, you had a bad infection, you were immobilized for some reason, you had surgery, now you're pregnant, you have inflammatory bowel disease or some other conditions that do tend to make people quite uh, prone to having blood clots. In those cases, you had a blood clot for a good reason and you need to be treated for three months or for as long as the underlying problem persists generally. If you get a blood clot for no good reason, it just happens, then most of the time we would suggest that you continue on your therapy permanently. Um, in that, ca- in either of those cases, testing isn't really going to change your management. Um, 
I do recommend testing for something called the uh, antiphospholipid antibodies that I will talk about in a moment because it might change which drug you're going to use for your long-term management. But other than that, I don't recommend any other uh, fancy testing. Um, when then would I consider testing? If, if you've had a blood clot for no real clear reason and for reasons of safety or personal preference, you and your physician can't really decide whether you should stay on long-term anticoagulation or not, then getting the testing might help push you one way or the other. Um, if you've had an unusual blood clot, if you had a blood clot in the veins in your abdomen, in your liver veins, in your splenic veins, in the veins of your spleen, or the veins of your bowel, your mesenteric veins, in those cases too, um, I would recommend that you have testing done to see why you've gotten such an unusual case. And it's possible that if you've had multiple miscarriages, even though you haven't had a blood clot, your, your physician may choose to test you for hypercoagulable states. That's because having s certain hypercoagulable states, having certain conditions that cause people to get blood clots too much, can also cause some people to have miscarriages. Now notice what I didn't say is I don't think everyone should be tested so we can talk to you about your blood clot. It doesn't matter for most of the situations as we talked about above. Um, some people want to be tested so that they can tell their family members whether or, or not they should do something. But we don't treat people with any of these conditions generally unless they've had a blood clot. The one exception to that would be um, deficiencies in a protein called antithrombin, where if you have family members who um, are planning to be pregnant, we would consider treating them with medication to prevent blood clots with with antithrombin deficiency, particularly if it's severe. Um, but again, most of the time, it, we don't recommend that all all your family members be tested. One of the arguments for testing family members is sometimes made that if they're tested, then we would know to give them prophylaxis or give them treatment with blood thinners to prevent blood clots before they have risky procedures like being in the hospital or having surgery. Um, but in truth, before risky procedures, you patients should be getting blood thinners anyways to prevent blood clots and it shouldn't matter whether or not you have these kinds of risks and now that they know they have someone in their family who's had a clot for no good reason that is a very significant risk for them also so if their physician was for some reason not planning to prevent blood clots uh, before this procedure he would be changing his mind now because of their family history but not because of any particular test result just the family history itself is enough really to make us think about being more more uh, pristine or, or a bit more aggressive perhaps about uh, prophylaxing or treating to prevent blood clots before surgery and other ki kinds of risky procedures. So why would you not want to get this testing? It's there. What's, what's the big deal? The primary reason, in all honesty, to not get the testing is just to save money. It's fairly expensive testing, and we don't need to do it for most patients. I think, in addition, some patients who have a positive result become anxious about this new problem they've discovered they have, even though it's not something that's going to matter to them oftentimes in any way at all. Um, you can avoid that kind of anxiety by just not having the testing done. The testing should not delay the initiation of your therapy. There aren't too many people who would do that. But what I do see happening occasionally though is that the 
the therapy is changed based on this testing. They were planning to treat somebody for a long time with anticoagulation. They don't find any underlying problems, so they decide to shorten therapy. That's not appropriate. If the patient needs to be treated for a long time, the patient needs to be treated for a long time, independent of what this testing shows. And similarly, if a patient had a clot for a good reason and you were planning to stop treatment after three months, discovering that they have some congenital hypercoagulable state generally will not change that decision. They still ought to stop therapy after a few months. So it it doesn't make a big difference in most situations. It's only when you and your physician are a bit on the fence about what the appropriate response, the appropriate duration of therapy is for this particular clot. Now, having said all this, what are these hypercoagulable things that we're talking about? When I think about them, I divide them up into two groups of problems. There are those things that are acquired, things that you that happen to you or changes that happen in your body as you get older. Um, things like having surgery or being immobilized in the hospital or having an infection or inflammatory bowel disease, as I mentioned above, those are all significant hypercoagulable states. Now, they, they tend to cause people to get blood clots. Um, there also is one more complicated um, condition that can happen where you develop antibodies. You sort of become allergic to certain chemicals in your body. This is called the antiphospholipid syndrome. And this can happen to people at any time during their life. And if it does happen in most patients, it won't matter. But in some of them, it does make them hypercoagulable. It makes them tend to have blood clots. So if you have this antiphospholipid syndrome and you've had a blood clot, your doctor will want to treat you with blood thinners, probably on a permanent basis to prevent a recurrence. And having the antiphospholipid syndrome would probably suggest to him that you not be treated with one of the newer anticoagulants, the rivaroxaban, the dabigatran, apixaban, drugs that are somewhat more convenient to use, but don't appear to be as effective in patients with the antiphospholipid syndrome. The other group of hypercoagulable conditions are things that you're born with. As I mentioned earlier, just knowing that there's someone in your family less than 45 or 50 who had a blood clot for no good reason is enough by itself to tell me that there's something, that there's a good chance that there's something about you that makes you get blood clots too easily, that is, that makes you hypercoagulable. People who have that kind of a strong family history are people I often do test just to clarify the nature of the problem in your family. More specifically, you can have defects in the genes that code for a protein called factor V, the factor V Leiden gene it's called, or for the gene that codes for a protein called prothrombin, the prothrombin port or prothrombin 2210 gene. Both of those genes create proteins in your blood clotting system that work too well and your blood clots too much. These are quite common genes. There's a reasonable chance you will turn out to have this. And in fact, if you if you only received this from one of your parents, you are, as we say, heterozygous. Um, I don't really care much about these particular genes. I care primarily when you received one copy of the gene from one parent and one copy from another parent, so you have no good genes in you. You only have the defective genes. That's a, a significant risk for clots. Again, If you've already made the decisions about how long you're going to be treated, this is not going to change your mind. But if you were on the fence, this would push me to strongly suggest that you stay on longer-term therapy. Similarly, there's a protein C and S. These proteins, when they're deficient, increase the risk of your having blood clots. And there's a protein antithrombin, 
which also, when it's deficient, increases your risk of having blood clots and is important because if there are members of your family considering pregnancy and they also have a deficiency in antithrombin, their physicians, depending on the degree of the deficiency, may choose to treat them with blood thinners during their pregnancy to prevent complications because this one does significantly increase the risk of uh, clots in pregnancy under certain circumstances. Your doctor may also check you for factor eight since elevated levels of this, levels that are one and a half or two times or more, the upper limits of the usual uh, levels can also uh, find themselves at increased risk of, of blood clotting. Your doc probably will not talk to you about some of the rare causes of, of hypercoagulability you may see on the internet. We don't generally recommend them. They're very rare and of uncertain significance oftentimes, but it is possible that your doctor will want to have you checked for defects in plasminogen or in fibrinogen or a few other possibilities. So those are the tests that would be done. When would you want to get tested? Again, you may not want to get tested. It's not, really, testing is not for everybody. It's only for people who are on the fence. What you do not want to do generally is to be tested at the time you're most likely to want to be tested, which is right there in the emergency room or during that first day or two of hospitalization if you needed to be in the hospital. Um, that's when everybody's thinking about it and talking about it. That's when they want to get all the answers. But testing for many of the things I've mentioned is not reliable during that acute phase, during the time when you've just had a blood clot. You want to wait at least a couple weeks. And actually for, for the lupus anticoagulant or the antiphospholipid antibodies, you would like to wait for about a month before you do the testing. That's when the testing becomes most reliable. So again, not when you first are, are there generally, but somewhere down the road. You generally do not want to be tested when you're on Coumadin, although some of these tests can be done on Coumadin, some can't. You generally don't want to be tested when you're on one of the novel agents, the rivaroxaban, apixaban, the bigotran type drugs. Some of these tests can be done, but again, some of them cannot be done while you're on those drugs. And you, you may need to think about getting that testing done uh, at some point down the road when you were considering stopping your therapy. And again, if you're not planning to stop therapy, you probably don't need to get the testing done. Um, the last question that comes up is, I had my testing done and it's positive. What does this mean for me that I have this problem? And the real answer is not that much. This is something where you probably don't need to be very excited about it. If you go on and test your family members and someone comes up positive, that we don't treat people who are asymptomatic, who've not had a blood clot and have one of these defects, except as I mentioned with pregnancy and antithrombin. For most people, we don't do anything differently if they haven't had a blood clot. If you have had a blood clot and you have one of these things, it is not going to change your life in a serious way, except if you couldn't decide whether to go on long-term therapy or not, this may push you to, to more strongly consider being on long-term therapy. And if you have the antiphospholipid antibodies and you had a blood clot, your doctor will push you very strongly to stay on permanent anticoagulation and probably with Coumadin since the newer drugs don't seem to work as well. That's really the, the whole story. The punchline is many of you will not need testing. So if you were coming to this uh, podcast wondering why your doctor didn't order it, whereas another physician did, your doctor may very well be right. Most people don't need this testing. If you were on the fence, there was a question about the appropriate duration or your doctor is concerned about you having antiphospholipid antibodies um, or concerned because you have a very strong family history or because you're young or the clot was atypical, then these are the tests that he would do. They aren't going to 
change your life in a major way. These should be very low anxiety tests, but they may help you and your physician better think through the issues of how long you ought to be treated. If you have questions, the right person to talk to about this is probably your primary physician who knows the details of this. He's welcome to call me, and in fact, you are welcome to call Machion, and we can arrange a time to talk through some of these issues if you truly are confused about this. That's it for us here at Blood, Sweat, and Smears, a podcast produced by Machion Diagnostics your reference lab and CRO specializing in thrombosis, hemostasis, and rare disease. Thank you for listening. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like discussed, please send an email to blood, sweat, and smears at mechiondiagnostics.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at mechiondx. Be sure to subscribe, share, and join us next time for more coagulation information.